Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome in to another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Sekou Smith here in Denver, trying to find my way to the Bay Area for the Western Conference Finals. John Schumann, still in Toronto, still trying to process the unbelievable shot Kawhi Leonard made to propel the Toronto Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals. Shoe, this is uh, unprecedented stuff we got from the conference semifinals. I mean, we we were looking forward to the semifinals. I know we've been talking about it on, on the podcast here all season long, basically. But how about that? Living up to the hype, two game sevens on Sunday. C.J. McCollum going nuclear to rally the Portland Trailblazers from 17 down to beat the Nuggets. And then Kawhi putting a capper on an unbelievable day with an unbelievable shot. Yeah, I'm still processing everything that happened here last night. Just, I mean, you could, I mean, I I think I did in my story from last night, you could just break down that last Toronto possession in so many ways, just from Leonard catching the ball. And basically he's 30 feet from the basket, sort of on the left side of the floor a little bit. And then he gets all the way to the right corner where he finally finds the space to launch that shot. And it takes a lot of skill just to give it a chance, you know, from where he jumped with Embiid in his face, fading out, you know, his momentum taking him out of bounds. Just to give that shot a chance to go in takes a ton of skill. And then obviously a fortunate bounce. Although, you know, it's funny with Embiid there, He's got to launch it high, right, to get it over the right hand of the seven-footer. And because he launched it high, the entry angle, as it hits the rim, is different than if he was shooting a normal shot. And maybe it's because he launched it high that the bounce kept the ball in the cylinder, basically. And, you know, four bounces later, it dropped in. <laughs> I was I was struck, shoot, by Ben Simmons on that play. He got screened off by Embiid. Right. He got screened off by his own player and then kind of just stood there. And I was like... Well, I mean, yeah, Embiid, he he was on Leonard's hip. And right. Leonard caught the ball and then spun away towards the right side and he's 30 feet from the basket and Simmons is right on his hip. Embiid leaves Siakam and instead of it being a double team because Embiid cut off Leonard and sort of made him change direction... He cut yeah. off Simmons and made him break his stride, and that basically takes Simmons out of the play. I, I don't fault no, Simmons no, I at just all, was really. They, I they, could, they had an opportunity to have two guys maybe contesting that shot and ended up with just one. Um, yeah, because Embiid didn't basically get in front of Leonard. He just sort of took over the escort <laughs> and escorted him towards the corner, and the rest is history. It, it was, I mean, it was shot number 39. <laughs> Um, he said he didn't want to leave any shots in his mind. <laughs> I, I got no problem. I mean, it's a game seven yeah. to get to the conference finals. I got no problem with him letting fly. If nobody else wants to take those shots, he's got to yeah. take them. At the Sixers defense, they were great. Both defenses were terrific. Like some people say, oh, it wasn't a very good basketball game because there was a lot of missed shots. I, I thought the defenses were yeah. fantastic. The Raptors especially. I mean, in the first quarter, you know, their rotations were on point. They they complete the, the Redick dribble handoffs and whoever was guarding the the hand, mostly Embiid, peeled off to cut Redick off and keep him from 
getting uh, open. But then they rotated back to Embiid really well, cut him off, and then everybody else was in rotation. They were just on point. And then there was a three-possession sequence for Philadelphia in the fourth quarter where the game was tied at the start of that sequence. And it was almost essentially three 24-second violations in a row. The one first one was a 24-second shot, shot clock violation with him. Butler holding the ball in the corner with El Siakam in his shirt. The second one was launching an impossible shot at the shot clock buzzer. Third one was Kyle Lowry stripping Embiid after I think Harris got trapped. And then his only escape valve was Embiid with like two or three seconds on the shot clock. And, and Lowry met the ball and stripped Embiid and led to a fast break. Credit Toronto's defense. And then even though, even with all that, Leonard left the door open, right. free throw, and, and the Sixers took advantage with Jimmy Butler on the break to tie yeah. it this, for that I shot. mean, tell me what it was like, you being in that building. Though, that, and we'll get to Nuggets-Blazers game in a minute. Literally, there was a point, you know, in the fourth quarter where it seemed like a breath. And I'm wondering if the action was that it's in, in Toronto. It certainly looked like it, but just where you realize and how big a deal that game is, the players on the floor recognize how each possession is life or death, basically, in that game. Was there that tension in the building, shoe where it just felt like everybody was dry mouth and struggling <laughs> to catch their breath as that game Absolutely. was Absolutely. I mean... I mean, there's been plenty of Raptors playoff angsts over the years. And what's great is that the guy who knows that angst more than anybody, uh, Kyle Lowry, was really who saved them when things really started to go downhill in the third quarter. They went from up nine to down seven with a 16-0 Philly run. And then Lowry got two offensive rebounds on the same possession that led to a Leonard three that got them back into it. And then there was a fast break. Well, he had a fast break over score over Embiid. The tough, really tough layup in that sequence. And then there was a fast break where Embiid blocked a Fred Van Vliet shot and Simmons got the rebound and Lowry just took the ball away and then dropped the ball off behind his back for an Ibaka bucket. That was just a huge, huge sequence. And then we get to the fourth yeah, and it's tied with five minutes, I think, tied with like three and a half minutes after a Redick three-point play. I mean, it's all you can ask for, really. Like you live for these moments, you know, they only come around once a year, you know, game seven, tie game, three and a half minutes on uh, on the clock. Both teams, you know, went all in on this season. So one of them is going to be extremely disappointed. And you can see it. I mean, heck, Joel Embiid broke down in tears literally seconds after the buzzer, after the shot dropped through. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that tells you how tense a moment it was. And then Kawhi Leonard just screaming when, you know, he's mobbed by his teammates. I mean, like, just to let out that kind of emotion from that guy. Um, just tells you, like, you know, those two pieces of emotion right there just tells you how tense of a moment it was. And for me, personally, it's one of those, man, I love my job moments, yeah. you know, yeah. never take for granted that you're getting paid to be there and witness that. And, you know, hopefully we do a good enough job describing it and chronicling it and analyzing it in the wake of it where you earned your, your keep. But it's definitely one of those moments where you're like, man, this yeah. is this is great. This is what it's all about. Special stuff. The Raptors now get an opportunity to uh, lock up with Milwaukee. The Bucks have had a little rest here. Number one seed, though, obviously, in the entire playoffs and certainly in the East. What does the matchup look like to you, Shu, um, in the Eastern Conference Finals? You and Steve Ashburner will be on site for NBA.com. Is, is this another long series that, that these guys need to be gearing up for? That's a good question. I mean, I, Milwaukee has looked so good. Obviously, they've had the two easier opponents than Toronto. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's Kawhi Leonard versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, he can't. <laughs> Ask for anything better than that, really. I think it's another series where Toronto's bigs are going to have to make shots because the the Bucks, like the Sixers, want to keep their bigs in the paint. This, you know, Joel Embiid was not coming out of the paint in this series. Yeah. Brooke Lopez is not is going to do the same. Um, even when the Bucks play small, they're going to they're going to try to protect the paint and let the guys like Siakam, Gasol, Ibaka shoot jumpers. It was interesting. I was looking at the regular season matchup. Uh, both Leonard and Antetokounmpo missed, I think, the first meeting between this these two teams, so they played. Three games with both the stars. The Bucks won those games, won two of those three games. Mm-hmm. But the Raptors outscored the Bucks when both of those guys were on the floor. And it was a like if you look at Kawhi Leonard's on off numbers as far as the Raptors offense in the playoffs, the Raptors have been about 30 points per 100 possessions better offensively with Kawhi Leonard mm-hmm. on the floor versus off the floor, which is just ridiculous. Right. Basically, they're offense drops off a cliff when he steps off the floor it's basically the same when you look at their offense versus milwaukee in the regular season about 30 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor even though his sort of usage rate was a little bit lower than normal against milwaukee you know they did a decent job of taking the ball out of his hands kyle lowry was shot awfully against milwaukee in the regular season he was one for 20 from three-point range in the, against the bucks in the regular season serge Ibaka took a ton of shots but i think only one of the games was with after Gasol, Mm -hmm. after the Gasol trade. So we really haven't seen, you know, these teams as presence against each other. So, um, but I do like, you know, you got to have, you have to favor Milwaukee just because they've been so good. They are just so good at the ends of the floor. And I think they have to the series, whereas Toronto is sort of searching, still searching for answers beyond Leonard's offense. Their defense, like I said, was fantastic in that series. But uh, obviously, Antetokounmpo is a a different kind of uh, monster that they haven't played yet. I mean, he presents all sorts of different problems. What is John Schumann's assessment of that series? You know, I, I, yeah, I think Bucks in six, five, six or seven. I don't, yeah, I would say if you give me pick a team and then say four or five or six or seven, I'll say Bucks in six or seven. Although, you know, nothing, not, I mean, Bucks in four or five wouldn't even, wouldn't shock me all that much. I think a Raptors win would surprise yeah. me, but they're two complete teams that, you know, both teams can, yeah. can win any given night. We knew we were headed for some compelling matchups on the east side, no matter who it was. And I think we got exactly what we were expecting. I would argue that the Portland Trailblazers making the Western Conference Finals was not what everybody expected. And I'm here to tell you, Shu, people are sleeping on C.J. McCollum. Now, and I'm not talking about you or myself or other people. But there are a lot of people who don't. I don't think they understand just how good a creator of his own offense. He has games where he's where his you know, his dribble penetration to make shots and to get, you know, create his shots for himself doesn't pan out the way you want it to. But when it does, you know, in the way that it did in game seven against the Nuggets, it's a throwback performance to watch him knock down shots and hit his biggest one with about 12, 11 and a half seconds to go where he gets in the lane and kind of bumps his defender off and, and pulls up and nails a shot that basically gives them the, the cushion they need to come back from 17 down. He had 22 points after halftime shoot where he was just all over the place. He had a great chase down block on Jamal Murray and he literally silenced a crowd. I'm telling you, he shut up the entire Pepsi Center crowd except for the Trailblazers contingent that was sitting over in the corner behind their bench and a team having a a celebration shoot after they won a game. Like you could hear it interview room at Pepsi Center 
was on the other side of their locker room. So you can hear when everybody's coming to the presser after the game, you can hear the Portland line still going crazy as they rally in that game. And I think Denver had their youth and inexperience show up at the worst time. They literally gambled in the second half and could not catch their breath. They could not settle down and figure out how to be effective late in that game. Nikola Jokic was fantastic throughout these playoffs. Even he wore down and, and got fatigued to the point where he couldn't process possession after possession, how to get what he needed to help them hold on to that lead and then get out of that hole. It was weird. They, it was a five-point game when Rodney Hood hyperextended his knee, got bumped from behind by, I think, Torrey Craig. That was when everything changed. You know, Terry Stotts put Evan Turner in, basically gave Evan Turner the ball as the point guard because Dame Lillard was struck horribly, you know, could not find his shot, and turned the game over to Evan Turner, who had all of seven points prior series before that game. He had 10 in the fourth quarter shoot and the ceiling free throws with two seconds left. Did you, and I know you didn't get a chance to watch it, obviously, but if somebody had told you the way Portland won that game, with CJ and not, you know, scoring 37 and putting the team on his back, you've been shocked. I did watch the fourth quarter. We were watching it at the arena uh, before the Toronto game started. It just seemed like Denver was just a little bit uncomfortable in their offense and the shots that they let fly were just uncomfortable. Like that's a tense moment. It's tough in a moment like that. And it's where you've got to credit a guy like McCollum, you know, a pull-up mid-range shot over 1,230 games of NBA regular season basketball is the least efficient shot on the floor, right? And we can talk about analytics all we want yeah. and how over the course of a season, you want to minimize your mid-range. You want to shoot layups and threes. But in a moment like that, when you need a bucket, you have a guy who can get off a shot in rhythm and multiple shot and is sort of a money mid-range shooter like C.J. McCollum or say a Kevin Durant or even a Curry. That's a great shot because it's com- more comfortable than, say, a Nugget shooting a tougher shot. Um, heck, we can go back to the Houston series and wonder if, hey, if James Harden was just a little bit more willing to shoot from mid-range, if 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 that's the space that you get, and that is that that's what that's the shot that defenses still give up. You know, even in a moment like that, and if you have a guy in those uh, in that spot shooting a little step back in rhythm. 18 footer or 17 footer, then that's, you know, that's not, like, it's, you got to take what you can get in those moments. And McCollum certainly did that. I think Lillard did hit a shot also in that sequence. And, um, you know, credit to those two guys. They don't seem to like, for me, like, I know, like you check playing pickup game, you know, game <laughs> point, you get a little, you know, and like, but for those guys to, to play that way in an NBA conference semifinals, game seven, fourth quarter, close game, to, to sort of not let that moment overtake them, you know, that takes some, you know, t- t- takes a lot of uh, internal fortitude, I guess, is the word. Both of them never get rattled or seem to never get rattled. Super impressive about them. But you met Houston and we had talked on the podcast here since the Rockets. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain what happened to the Rockets other than they got splashed. Um, Steph and Clay in the, in the Warriors, went to Houston in a game six shoot and, and buried him and, you know, late. And it was what I was bellyaching about when James Harden didn't wrestle control of game five away. I thought that was a clear opportunity for he and the Rockets to win that series because I felt like if they didn't, after Kevin Durant got, got the calf strain and 
if they allowed the Warriors to show up for a game six with an opportunity to move on, the Warriors would find some way to do it. And they did. Steph and Clay both going crazy. In the first half, Steph in the second was just unbelievable shot scout yesterday. And I asked him before the game, I said, I said, how how is it possible to defend the Warriors when Steph and Clay start making those unbelievable shots? I mean, they made literally shots that nobody else in the league is going to take or make sometimes. And he said, there is none. He said, there's no way for you to defend Steph when he gets in the bag like that. He's either going to make them or miss them in, in the consequence. He said, but there's no way you're preventing him from getting and then, you know, taking those shots off the dribble when he's got an advantage, big defender on him and can shoot that kind of, you know, advantage over a guy who's clearly incapable of staying in front of him. They now have an opportunity, which is just staggering to me, to go to five straight finals if they can beat Portland in the conference final shoot. Sean Powell is picking a sweep. I don't know that I'm on board with a sweep. I'm in five games. Split the season series, and I think Portland played pretty well against um, Golden State in the regular season. I mean, both teams are diminished, obviously. You know, injuries. I, you know, we don't know what Hood's availability will be. Nurkic is out already. KD is not going to play in game one, at least. But he and Boogie, I guess, are both potentially on track to return at some point, if need be, if this series, you know, goes long. I, I just don't – Portland has defied the odds so often, you know, in this postseason that I just – I'm not ready to write them off. It's going to get swept. But I do – you know, the Warriors are – and you look at what they did to the Rockets. It'd be hard to to do anything other than ride with the Warriors at this stage of the game. Yeah, and I think – I mean, Houston's going to go look look back at that series. They're, it's going to be hard to get over that series all within five points in the last five minutes. So they were taking uh, in that series. And, you know, we'll – year five of this Warriors uh, run, maybe year three with the with Durant, it's – there's been closer quality, but that one was uh, a series I'll, I'll always remember just because of how close everything was. And, and you know, maybe for Portland, everything is gravy from now on. But um, I give them a puncher's chance just because, you know, the Warriors still, as good as they have been in certain moments overall, they're not as good as they've been in to the last two years, you know, they're still a little bit more vulnerable, vulnerable than they've been in the past. And so, you know, if it's Portland, if it's Milwaukee or Toronto in the, I think there's a, there's still a chance that this team can complete this run. I don't know what that, you know, what percentage chance that is, but heck, honestly, Milwaukee has been the best team, uh, was the best team in the league in the regular season has been the best team through the first two rounds of the playoffs. And if we get to that in the finals, I don't know if I'm picking the Warriors, um, but we'll see what happens over the next two weeks and where we get, where we are um, at that point. But yeah, I think they're still, you know, even though they got through what men thought was the biggest threat, I still think they have a lot of work to do to finish the job. Yeah. Eastern Conference final shoe in Milwaukee on TNT at 830 Eastern. Bucks and the Raptors going at it. Western Conference finals Tuesday night on ESPN at 9. We'll talk. We'll we'll break down what we see in those games next time on the Hangtime Podcast. Here, I'm one last thing I'm curious about, and and it'll be the talk of the basketball world until we get the tip off of another game. But what do you do if if you're all these teams who are nine wounds from this season? I mean, Philly has a ton of decisions to make. Um, a young team like the Nuggets deciding what to do with their young roster and 
who fits where. What, what's the biggest priority in addition to the draft lottery Tuesday night, where everybody's you know anxious to see who's going to get the right to draft Zion Williamson? Um, Lakers hire Frank Vogel, which is a is a podcast into itself. Um, what's what's the one thing you'll be thinking about non conference finals related? as we head to tip off on, on Tuesday night? Well, I mean, we still have a month and a half before free agency, and that's sort of the big story, obviously, with Philly, um, with Boston. Heck, by the time people listen to this podcast, we might have some clarity on you know, Brett like, Brown's job. Is he, I mean, is everybody that adamant that he's got that he's the issue and he's got to go? To me, he's not. I thought he was um, adjusting the Brook, making some adjustments, the Brooklyn series, making some adjustments in this series. Obviously, the Sixers – probably for all the talent they have, did not get as far as they should have. But Embiid was far less than 100% for almost the entire playoff run. And it's together very long. So we'll see. And it's it's just weird, like, you know, like to hear, you know, as a team is in the conference semifinals playing game seven, to hear more stories come out that if they lose, he's uh, going to get fired. I mean, so it just tells me, like, is there, all right, so there's somebody in the front office that wants him fired or doesn't want him as the coach and therefore has a piece of, like, do they not want them to win, <laughs> advance to, the, to yeah. the conference finals? It's just a weird, a weird situation. He sort of brushed it off after the, after the game uh, last night, just said, hey, that's, a, that's for the, the team to deal with. So, I mean, we'll see. Like, that guy has been through a lot with this friend there from – he was there at the very bottom of it, and I thought he did a fantastic job in those first couple of years of building a foundation for what we see now, and which was you know, a really good team um, that just fell short by the, by the slimmest of margins. Yeah, the drama never ends. We'll be back on Thursday with a couple of games in the, in the bucket for the conference finals. Um, follow all our playoff coverage on NBA. Got the series covered from opening tip to final buzzer and in between. Shoot, enjoy the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll do the same out west here. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you all season long. Don't forget to leave a review. We will see you next time on the Hangtime Podcast.